0: All their or their favorite foods, the places, the stuff you love is, is ripped away you 're cut off from that hope of a job or, or a career or family that you dreamt of and so it 's this type of community that these Bible verses are spoken into by Ezekiel, who for twenty two years was speaking god 's word to people trapped in this kind of situation and it 's why God gave it in this form of a vision because sort of, there 's something about imagery and visions that can help us interpret reality It's the kind of situation that a valley full of dry bones speaks really well of. The text I just read ends with this curious question. Son of man, can these bones live? It's such an honest question. I think that it, it nags at us. And it, I think it, it made me, as I prepared, think of my own life, my own situations. And I actually want to help us wrestle today with these ideas and ask you, What situation in your life feels like dead bones? And you might be asking, can this dead situation, these dead bones, live again? For some of us, I know, we've faced deep catastrophe, uh, health concerns, death of loved ones, and as I mentioned, even forced from your community You're in Canada as a new place. But many of us, I think our catastrophes are are different and, and maybe smaller in scale but still, nonetheless, troubling to us. Author Max Lucado describes it this way. He says, in our life, we often can just grow drowsy in our spirituality. Our vibrancy can be replaced by lethargy. Our enthusiasm fades. We doze off, not because we're hard-hearted cynics or who reject God, but we're good-hearted people who simply experience a dry heart, a waning love, and feel disconnected from our relationship with God. So does this describe you today? Is that you? I know I could relate as I read that quote. So tucked into Ezekiel's passage that we're reading is the beginning of an answer that I'd like us to explore. After that God's probing question about can the bones live, Ezekiel turns to God and says this, sovereign Lord, you alone know so I like that, it, because in the nagging questions of life we have, the, the, the most honest answer is, Lord, only you know. In the messes of our life, it, it's only God, the sovereign God, who, who has the, the sight to see through the mess that we're in. Only you know. So that's what Ezekiel, in his issues, in his community's problems, acknowledges. Only you know, Lord. Following that opening dialogue, we, we see God give Ezekiel an interesting task. He says, actually, prophesy to the field of dead bones. You know, speak God's words. He, God suggests a, a joint venture between himself and the prophet to speak life into this dead situation. So a little note here, if you're eager to see God's work happen in the world, just note he loves to use you. Like, he might employ you to be part of that. So what happens next, it says Ezekiel begins speaking to the bones. And strangely, weirdly, bones begin to rattle together. Ligaments and flesh covers the bones, and and you have bodies, but they're not breathing. And the next scripture says this, God says to him, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I, I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath entered them. And they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. So this again, it's a vision. So this valley of dry bones is, is suddenly a, a standing army of live people. And the author, Max Lucado, sort of describes it this way. He says, The prophet just spoke aloud, ordinary words, no magic, no secret incantation, no conjuring tricks with bones, just speaking the living power, the living word of God into the valley of the shadow of death. Lifeless bones becoming live people. It's it's weird, right? It's, it's again, a strange Old Testament vision. What are we supposed to make of it? So a couple things to know. In this passage, when it's talking about breath blowing, it's, it means the spirit. It's a way of God talking about his Holy Spirit. And it, this passage is likely echoing back to the very creation depicted in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Uh, in chapter 2, 7, it talks about this. It says, after the Lord created the first person, you know, out of dust and dirt, created a lifeless body, it says this, The Lord breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and the man man became a living being. So there we have this echo of this thing that God did at the very beginning. His own spirit is needed to bring us to life, the very first person, and then us after. God revives us with his breath. So in case we're wondering, that's where it stops. It doesn't. Thankfully, the passage begins to interpret it and make it practical. So in verse 11, God gives this interpretation of what he's supposed to understand for the people and says this, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. So again, the, the, the people themselves, this was their own words for themselves, we're dead, we're lifeless. And that's why God's speaking to them like this. They knew, deported, away from their home, no options that they were dead and lifeless like like dried up bones so again perhaps we can relate to this story perhaps as we contemplate this morning we might wonder what situation in my life feels like these dried up bones for a year uh, some years ago i worked with a young lady from syria Uh, She came, Miriam came with her family in 2015, escaping the horrible civil war. She'd been a promising student in her country, uh, taking a lot of risks day in, day out to go to her campus and home where she was studying linguistics. Very promising student. Bible translation was one of her hopes. She comes from a Christian family in Syria. So at the time the war was peaking, the hard decision was made, we have to go. Uh, So she also had a favorite room in her home. She also had a place at a university and was almost finished, but they had to go. And she wondered, was my three and a half years wasted? Will I have a future? So when I met her and worked with her here, I took her to a lower mainland university who offered her program. And sadly, she was told, "Uh, there's nothing we can do. We have no transcript. I was thinking, you know, come on. Have you seen the news? It's, It's Syria. Can you help her? Well, their only response was maybe go back to first year, take some courses again, do an English assessment, even though her English was perfect. So I remember sitting with her after and she was weeping, you know, know, so sad that her life felt wasted and I felt useless trying to comfort her. So Miriam's situation, like our situations, we can ask, can these dry bones live again? Will I ever get that degree Will I ever start that career or have that relationship or family that I dream about? So this, this image really resonates with me. Can these bones live? It's, it's what we want to be true. We want dead things to come to life. So at the, at near the end of Ezekiel's vision in chapter 12, we see what God wants to do to open the door to begin that revival of life. And here he says in verse 12, My people. Again, I love this. It's very personal. My people. So this is is God's view on us. My people. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. So even though physically the situation they were living in felt like an open grave, it says that twice, the Lord says here, I will be your power source. I'll restore you, and it'll be with my spirit that you will live. Over and over again in scripture, we, we see this message that you will live. I want you to live. God's not about pushing us down so we somehow are in humble servitude and miserable. God's about lifting us up so we can live. Specifically, where the Spirit of the Lord is, you may have heard this, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? Freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. It reminded me of of another passage similar, much further ahead in Scripture, in the New Testament. John chapter 20, after his resurrection, Jesus is speaking to those discouraged, deflated followers. They can't believe he's back to life. And, And Jesus says this to them. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he, with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So again, back in, in Ezekiel's time, the nation of Israel was feeling dead in exile, trapped. They needed God's breath. And in Jesus' time, those followers were feeling dead and finished. Their mission was over. And instead, he says, no, I'm, I'm going to breathe my spirit into you. I had a bit of a recent uh, story of my own that felt like it resonated as I was, I you know, I prayed, Lord, maybe help me connect with this passage. And so as he does, he sort of gave me a, my own little experience of this. It's not always fun, but it happened. So two weeks ago on a Friday, I, I was feeling pretty low. Uh, Friday's an amazing day. It's a day Cleans and I both have the day off. We try to take it sort of as a, a Sabbath day where we're, you know, there's no work. We're trying to, to rest, to, to do things that we delight in, to, to even worship God, to just have a day that's different in the middle of the week. And so that day, as I sort of turned to God and started my day, had some plans, I, I noticed my attention and my emotions turned to a, a sort of a situation that sort of brought me down. I thought, okay, God, what, what's going on? It wasn't a new situation, but it's, it's an ongoing situation in my life that's sort of like a, a toothache. It's like, oh, when you think about it, it really hurts. And for me, it's a situation of, of housing. Over, over our 12 years here, we We've sort of been renting in different scenarios. So God was inviting me to, to reflect on how I really feel about that and uh, to, to sort of look at that discontent. Because, you know, in housing, whether, whether you're owning or renting, if there's instability in that key area, you just don't feel good. It feels like a desperate situation. So leading up to that Friday, Cleans and I had done some work to assess, you know, can we, can we get a mortgage? Do, do we have what it takes to maybe buy a condo? That was probably part of why I was feeling stirred up. And so, but into that sort of, that, the sort of miserable feeling, uh, there are a few things happened that I think was part of God breathing his life into me. First thing that happened, I think, as it relates to this passage, God invited me to face my feelings, to, to face those things that felt like dead bones. I think that's one thing God does. He says, you know, I'll help you, but I want you, I want you to turn and face it. I'm, I'm with you. Like it said in the passage, God knows I'm with you. Don't be afraid to, to look at what hurts you. Because I think in, in our life, in our society, we just spend a lot of time numbing our feelings, avoiding what hurts us, but God knows. And he says, no, I'm going to help you. So that day, he helped me just sort of look at it, not turn away. And secondly, he, he also invited me to take action. God doesn't want us just to sit. He wants us to, to get up and try something. So we, we made an appointment with a real estate agent to see a condo in Richmond. But the, the price point and the tiny size only added to my despair. Facing reality is hard. But third, that's where the Lord started to work. We felt nudged to pray. Even before seeing the condo, Cleanza said, Let, let's pray. So we prayed in the car, saw it, we, we prayed after. And then as I did those three things that day, here's what I, I noticed. I noticed later in the day, my feelings changing, and a sense of hope rising, actually. And I I, I sort of sensed what felt like a word from God, not some audible voice, just a strong feeling. And it was like, Mike, not now. Not in this market. Instead, trust, wait, be content with the rented home you have. So, I mean, interestingly, I did notice my my hope rose, my, my feelings rose, and I felt God encouraging me that though it's not ideal what I have, He's got me. He's holding me. The next day, I felt a funny little affirmation of this word. We, Clans, uh, and I got invited to visit on Saturday some friends of ours that had recently bought a condo, and it's beautiful. They renovated it, had this amazing dinner with them, and perhaps I was a little bit envious. But uh, what happened is, as I was walking up to their front door, I, I noticed some kids' coloring sheets on the neighboring window, and I, I actually had to stop and take a picture. And it's this cute little kids coloring page that says, gratitude turns what you have into enough. I imagine some little kids maybe had been fighting and the mom sat them down and made them do coloring pages. <laughs> so it's like God knew Mike. Mike needs this to see this coloring page because that describes my situation. It's, it's going to be the gratitude. And the spirit just reminded me, Mike, I've got you in the middle of what you don't want to be. I've got you. So in Ezekiel's situation, in our situation, God's spirit blows in with hope and he ha- helps us reinterpret what we're going through. As humans, we tend to think that if only God would, would restore our, our material comfort, that's when we'll be happy. Lord, buy me a condo. Then I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be free and I'll be happy. That's what we think. And for the nation of Israel during their exile, they just say, send us back, Lord. Give us, give us our homes, our land. Help us rebuild our temple. And surely those are good things. And indeed, 70 years later, God did some of that for them. And for us today, again, I'm not sure what you're thinking of. We want to, we want to complete our education. We want, we want to have family. When we, when we have that family, wouldn't we like them just to get a little bit older so, so they can do that other thing, so they can achieve that thing? So you see, it's, it's actually kind of a, an endless cycle if we stay stuck in that want. And I think that's part of what the Lord wants to free us from. He wants us to live in that that contentment, not in a constant state of FOMO. So God had more in mind for them as he does for us. And at the very end of the chapter, God points them and us to a higher goal, a distant future. And in verse 24, it says this. My servant David will be king over them, and they will have one shepherd. So that meant a lot to them because David was a a historic king in their country uh, from a golden age in the past. But what God is saying, he's like, actually, I'm not saying I'm going to give you the best new political ruler like he would say to us. But instead, I'm going to point you to my Messiah. I'm pointing you forward to the time when Jesus will come because it's going to be Jesus. That can give us the, the unity, the, the peace, the harmony that we so long for and that we try to seek in our material possessions he 's going to be the ruler that will restore the very thing we need, which is God with us, and that 's what we celebrated at Easter about ten weeks ago, God with us, the, this gift that meant the Holy Spirit was sent to be with us, available for all not just not just in some religious sense in a temple, but the spirit of God living breathing among us in our children and in our families. So where does that leave us here today in 2023? We are living in the time where the Spirit's been given. So how can we access this? How can we access this to overcome our, our daily discouragements, our annual annoyances that just keep going? And this image from, I used from the beginning, I just believe God is on his knees beside the, the moist, pile of wood that is our life, and he's blowing like Sam was, big smile on his face, blowing and waving cardboard that his flame, however small it feels, would, would ignite, and, and our life w- would roar to, to life, um, and his, that all that Christ has for us, we would inherit it and, and live in this way, live in this world with the victory that he has for us. So as I, as I bring us to the end, as we do here at 10th, and if you're a guest, I'll, I'll give you some instructions. In a moment, we're going to be sharing in communion, this, this way that we remember Christ. And as I was preparing these words and thinking of these stories, I thought, besides the, the communion table, I wanted to, to bring you a symbol to send you home with something. So I was out in my garden cutting hundreds of tiny dead twigs. So as we invite you forward for communion, uh, and if you're a guest and you don't feel communion's for you, I hope at least coming and getting a twig feels like it could be for you. Because I want to use this image so that you can invite, in your own way, God to take center stage, his spirit to take center stage with whatever dry bones you're facing. So as you're sitting here, even before you come, maybe consider what is it that feels like a dry, dusty twig And then as in a moment, I'll give you some instructions. You'll come forward, you'll grab one. And I hope that as you take it home, maybe put it somewhere visible this week and, and just contemplate with the Lord, what would it look like? Would you blow your life even into this and just be filled with that hope of God's renewal in your life? Let me close this with some prayer. Spirit of the living God, I thank you over these weeks we've been hearing, and today again, that you are with us. Your spirit blows in the, in the simplest of ways and in the profoundest of ways. You, you encourage us in, in the biggest of issues we face and in the smallest. Lord, would you do that for my, my community, our community this morning? Blow into us your life-giving breath. In Jesus' name, amen.